Justice Tech Pros here. I was having a conversation again um, with somebody regarding the cameras in the courtroom. And we were just talking about how beneficial that would be to the defense on so many levels. Because as I hit on in uh, one of the episodes where I focused on the whole cameras on the in the courtroom subject, I specifically talked about how sometimes what's said in court isn't transcribed properly. And it's a big whoop-de-doo to try to get that fixed because there's no audio or visual correspondence that you could kind of go back to to compare. And a lot of things are missed in the sense that, you know, you can't always read something and get the gist of what took place. For instance, we were talking about um, how a judge sometimes they'll nod or they'll shake their head. And, you know, obviously you're not going to see that anywhere. You're not going to see that in the transcript. But the impact that that has on the jury, you know, if they see a, a judge nodding or they see a judge making facial expressions, anything like that, that doesn't come through and that people aren't aware of that's taking place within the courtroom does have an impact. And I know it sounds like something small, but believe it or not, you know, as anybody would, when you're in a courtroom, the judge is is running the show. So you're a lot of the times I would even pick up on during a trial, the jury is laser focused on what the judge is doing. So if they're shaking head, for an example, when the defense is talking or they're nodding up and down when an informant's uh, testifying, that weighs heavily. And I know you may not, may not think it does, but it really does. You know, if um, the average citizen is looking at the judge almost to see where their head's at, and if they have certain tells similar to poker, you know, if somebody has a tell, it'll give you an idea of what they're thinking. And if you have a judge who's nodding or shaking their head, even if they're not doing it, consciously, which I believe a lot of times they are, but even if they're not, it's going to make an impact on the juror, you know, picking up on that. And I, it really drove it really drove the point home when I was part of a sentencing recently. And unfortunately, when the, when the judge was given the sentence, you know, you could hear um, almost like a snicker taking place when, when certain rulings that was being given were being laid out, you almost heard a snicker and it's hard to explain, but you would know it if you heard it. You know, it's like if somebody's talking and almost laughing at the same time. I've done it a few times. Everybody does it on podcasts. You'll say something and you'll get the words out, but you're, you're kind of laughing at the same time. And in my head, A, I was thinking how inappropriate that was. And B, I was thinking how powerful that could be if you could use that audio or use that visual on an appeal just to show what you've been trying to claim the whole time. You know, if you're trying to say that a judge have been biased and a judge was not presiding in a fair manner, and now you have audio backup just to set the tone where the appellate level could actually hear what took place, I think that would uh, sway a lot of opinions of the judges when they're weighing an appeal. You know, if they do hear it and they see how it's playing out, they'll get a good understanding when the defense is claiming that a judge is not being fair and impartial, that'll that'll support their argument in a strong in a strong way. And you know that was just another aspect of it that I th- I really think needs to to change. I mean, even now with this COVID, maybe it's a blessing in disguise in the sense that if these things are done visually through uh, you know video through audio, if there was a way where they would have a database that 
had all of that information, had the audio and had the video, where you could revert to that when filing an appeal and almost submit it as an attachment, you know, as an exhibit where you submit the audio file to support your claim, you know, just to show if this is if this is how a uh, justice of the court should be operating when they're claiming to be fair and impartial. And, you know, when you think about those things, especially if a family's present, family members are present, and the defendant's there, and you hear, you're almost, not only are you being sentenced, you're being almost mocked. And I just actually did it right there, where I gave a little bit of a laugh just to portray a little bit of sarcasm. And when that's done, you know, it does it does convey the thought that the speaker is having at the time, whether it's um, positive or negative, but it is important. It's an important aspect. You know, expression is very important. And unfortunately, that all fails. You know, when you're reading it, you don't get any of that. You're reading the transcript, you don't get any of that. You just get the words, so it sounds, it, it reads as though everything took place in a manner that seemed to be up to code on what the... Uh, justice system strives for and in actuality it's not and the other thing you know that it got me thinking was you know they give a lot of speeches and a lot of them are pretty uh, nasty you know they really are I mean they say some things that are just uh, just nasty things to a defendant nasty things uh, about the defendant and what's a shame is when in you know the time comes and let's say that person as we've discussed in uh, great length uh, people who are then found innocent or somebody wins an appeal part of the process should actually be to make that presiding judge then sit and recant and apologize for the things they said during sentencing because if someone is innocent and it comes to light that they're innocent basically they got it wrong and everything they said is null and void and it goes back to my prior episode with there's really no accountability and there's really no consequences for getting it wrong. But that should be, you know, that should be something I think that the families would want to hear. You know, all those, uh, all those nasty things and all those improper statements and all those personal statements where you could tell it's personal when they say certain things, they should all be uh, retracted and they should get an apology. Again, I know this is just pie-in-the-sky thinking and wishful thinking, but it's just a reality. You know, when somebody's wrong, they should say they're wrong, and that never happens. You know, the family has to deal with that, and they have to fight it, and that has to sink in, and there's there's no repercussions for that. It's just part of the stages and part of what you have to deal with. You have to sit there and even, you know, as the defendant, first and foremost, take a tongue lashing based on, you know, if you're an innocent person on crimes you didn't commit, and you have to hear somebody speak all of these lies as if they're truths. And, you know, they uh, they pretty much spew them out without any thought. And, it, and, and unfortunately, you know, it, words have a, have a very strong impact. And, you know, everybody who gets uh, a lot of these people, and there's countless people who then get reversed, as I said earlier, or get found innocent based on newly discovered evidence, whatever the case may be, they don't get the shot to go back in front of that judge and have that judge say, you know, re-apologize for what they for what they said and for the speech because they were wrong. And that'll never happen, you know, because in their eyes, they're never wrong. And they just move on to the next case. And it just, it, to me, it just proves the point 
even more so how important those things would be to be recorded and to be documented where you have visual and audio. And why they don't do that, I can't you know wrap my head around that because there's really no logical reason for it. Um, I think everybody should be entitled to that. Everybody should hear how the proceedings and see how the proceedings took place, see how everybody acted. And if somebody was inappropriate, the defendant and the defense team should be able to use that to their advantage. You know, I think uh, it'd be extremely, it'd be extremely uh, powerful to submit something like that. And another thing I was thinking about, which, you know, I didn't understand when I first got involved in the industry, is how one would think things are very black and white, and they're, and they're really not. You know, you could lay things out, and you get one side who sees it entirely different. And it made me think a lot about politics. You know, and trust me, the last thing I want to get into on this show is politics, and I'm not. I'm just going to make a point on that. You see on both sides, regardless of what your political belief may be or alignment may be, you, you see it on both sides. You'll see the same issue discussed in totally, uh, in totally different manner. Uh, one side will see it one way. One side will see the exact same set of facts completely other way. And that's, you know, that's how the justice system works. And to me, it's, it's hard to really uh, navigate that because if you have a certain set of facts and it tells the truth and you're trying to lay out the truth and then to have it get spun to mean something entirely different just to, to suit a narrative, it's disturbing and it's really an uphill battle. And people don't understand that. You know, they don't understand that when you go into trial, even though you may have the facts in front of you, you know, the other side, the state, the government, whoever the prosecutor, they could, uh, the U.S. attorney, they could take those facts and twist them in such a way where it, it, it benefits their case. And I understand, you know, they're fighting their case. But what amazes me is the way truths will be bent. You know, there's only, you don't have different sets of truths. You either have what's true or what's false. And to try and take something that's false and turn it into a truth, uh, and, and people don't see that, that's what I think is most disturbing. Me, I have a keen eye for that, so I could see as it plays out what they're trying to do. But you could tell a lot of the times the jur- the juries don't. You know, they're, they're going along for the ride, and they're swaying back and forth, and they're trying to see a different angle that the uh, prosecutor is laying out. One would think if something is factual or is uh, black and white, that that's just the way it goes, but it's really not. And that's why it's all about, you know, the argument. And that's, I think, one of the false um, false ways of thinking and that people have. They feel that, well, if somebody's innocent, all they have to do is lay out the facts and they'll be found innocent. And it's really not that cut and dry because things get twisted and turned. So you won't, you know... Every defense attorney knows this. Every defense team knows this. At the beginning, I was naive. I didn't see that you almost had to strategize to get the truth out. And when you think about how twisted that is, it really is insane. You have, you have to strategize your defense on how to lay out the truth. One would think you just lay it out and that's it, case closed. But that's not it at all. You know, you have to fight every step of the way, even with the motions, when you try and expose certain truths. They'll come back and they'll put a spin on it and then you have to fight that spin and you just keep going deeper and deeper. So you you may start off with one argument where you're proving, you know, in early in the pretrial motions where you're saying, 
for instance, uh, the government, let's say, as I touched on, will um, will claim that they have certain discovery, certain audio tapes that exist. Now you find out none of that exists, and you put in your motions to explain it doesn't exist, or wording that the government said was transcribed was accurate, and then the defense listens and proves that it wasn't accurate. Now you would think that holds a lot of water, and that kind of reverses the case in the sense that now what they're claiming to be true is untrue, it doesn't work that way. They'll, they'll put in another argument, almost an excuse, spinning it, saying, well, why it was wrong or how it was an error, or we don't believe what the defense is saying, we believe it says this. And now you're in, in a big argument, and once again, the judge is the one who decides who's, whose argument is stronger, because it's really not a matter of the truth anymore. It's really... Whose argument's stronger and which way the judge is leaning? And one wouldn't think that's how it should operate, but that's the reality of it. That's how it works. It's not about, you know, laying the facts out, digging into the case, laying everything out, going over what's uh, accurate and what's inaccurate. It's a matter of coming up with a strategy to get your defense team to sway the judge. And one wouldn't think you need a strategy to tell the truth. You know, it's different if you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, somebody who, who, say, committed a crime and they're fighting their case and they're trying to, you know, win the case. You have to come up with an a in-depth strategy or, you know, an out-of-the-box way of, of presenting the case to try to win it. And I understand that and I respect all that. But what I'm talking about is much more sp- simplistic. What I'm discussing is when you have a key, uh, a key case of innocent and you're trying to prove that it's not as easy as one would think it's it's very hard actually to prove the truth you know to go up against a lie is very hard because lies just compound and they muddy the water and you got to see through it and if you don't have a judge who's open-minded it's not going to happen it's just not going to happen they're going to keep they're going to keep going with the excuses they're going to keep listening to how things are um moved around and how things are explained and how excuses are made and on to the next point. And it's it's a scary process all around. You know, the only... I, I try to always look at positives in any situation to focus on that because it's very easy to focus on the negative. But the only positive for anybody going through that, when they're done at that stage, you know, when they, when they went through the process and they realized they had an unfair judge, a biased judge... That a jury wasn't going to listen to it. The only liberating aspect of that is after the sentencing, you're done. You're done with that team, um, and, and you're moving on now. You know, and, you, and you're going to focus. You're going to focus on the appeal level, and you're going to pray and hope that you get three fair judges who go by the law. You know, now it's all a matter of paperwork. It's all a matter of everything that you cited that was incorrect or constitutional error. Now it's a matter of putting it all together putting all the pieces together and submitting it and showing that what took place was unfair, unjust, and they need to right a wrong. And if, you know, the evidence didn't show the, the, um, the, the evidence did not support the verdict. And, you know, you have a chance to show that at the appeal level. I mean, that's the only positive thing you could take away. You have to kind of put it in your head for everybody going through it. If you were wrongfully convicted, you got to put it in your head that at least that point in time is now done. And now you could focus on hopefully getting three 
fair appellate judges that are going to look at the facts of the case, that are going to look at the errors that were made, that were going to look at the rulings that were incorrect, and then render a decision based on that. That's the shot you need. But in the meantime, it's a lot of anguish, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of expenses to get to that point. And that's the shame part of it all. You know, it's it's draining on all different levels. And to get to that point is exhausting. And I think a lot of the times, that's why a lot of these cases do end in plea bargains. Because, you know, people don't want to go through that. And rightfully so. It's um, it's a very intense process. And, and someone can't really relate to it unless they're going through it or their family's going through it or they're working as part of a defense team. You know, it's very labor-intensive very uh, emotionally uh, draining, physically draining, financially draining, as you can imagine. So what you got to kind of hope for, and on the case, you know, that I'm on now, on my father's case, now we're at the appeal level. So, um, you know, that's that's where the focus must be. You know, you got to focus on the appeal level. You got to focus on the strong issues. And you got to submit it based on that. And I've said it from day one. If um, I've ever seen a case that deserves to get an appeal, this is one of them. You know, they could say whatever they want, but the facts are the facts. There was a ton of errors made, a lot of um, rulings that were unjust, and a lot of things that played out without getting into too much detail that, that benefit us on the appeal level. They didn't benefit us on the trial level because when those things happen, you're, you're stuck in the machine and you're just going through the motions. And your, your hands are tied. There's nothing you could do. You got to just try to fight, try to argue. But, you know, if you don't uh, you don't get the rulings, you don't get the rulings. That's just how it plays out. You could put in every motion you want. If uh, the judge don't want to hear it, they just don't want to hear it. So for those going through it, I can relate. You know, I understand it. I understand the process. I understand the uh, heartache involved. But all I can tell you is you got to just hope that justice does exist at some level and you got to hope that it does exist when it gets a little higher up and you and and you bypass you're no longer dealing with the judge who has an agenda or a, a judge that is fair is unfair and a judge that only wants to see things one way and isn't isn't even in the mind frame to look at something from a different angle you know they they're laser focused on one j- objective one goal and nothing's going to deter that. So you, you got to hope that once you get to the appellate level, a higher a higher uh, hierarchy of, of judges, that you're dealing with three that are going to apply the law to what took place. And any errors that took place, anything that was unconstitutional will come to light. And that's where you'll get some relief. And I still have hope. I, I truly believe that at that level, that's when you're dealing with uh, those who hold the law dearly and hold the system dearly. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that when it gets to that level, that's when the relief will come. You know, uh, unfortunately, at the trial level, at the pre-motion level, we saw how that was going. People could see how that's going. Whoever's in, involved in the system, you know right away if you're dealing with um, a team and a, and a judge that's, that's ruling based on the motions they're getting in front of them based on the arguments being made, not based on how are they going to twist things to keep obtaining their goals. You know, that's what you really, that's what you, uh, when you're faced with that, 
you have to kind of talk to yourself and realize that, all right, if this is a situation I'm, I'm in, unfortunately, I'm just not going to get any relief at this time. You know, we have to wait to the next stage. And it's a long process, but when the next stage comes, you got to make sure you have uh, all your I's dotted, all your T's crossed, and really put in the the best possible paperwork, supporting documentation you can to show what took place. Another little uh, topic I wanted to just touch on briefly, I guess, or maybe not briefly, I guess we'll see how long I go with it, but... You know, I try to stay off a lot of those uh, blogs and those forums because, unfortunately, a lot of it's just filled with a lot of nonsense, just uh, keyboard warriors, people behind the computer uh, saying nasty things, saying, you know, talking like uh, King Kong and Godzilla, everybody's tough behind a computer. But one thing I found amusing is you get a lot of these individuals, they're in these rooms, and, and I spoke about this, they're on these forums, which are designated this particular uh topic it will be designated let's say to organized crime and they're in there every day i mean you look at some of these guys profiles they'll have like three thousand posts first off who could post three thousand times i mean uh, that's insane on, on a topic coming up with three thousand posts so you're, you're pretty vested you're spending a lot of time and they're members of these forums for years and years and when you try to raise an issue or somebody tries to raise an issue in the in the forum well, they'll talk about, uh, you know, somebody being found guilty, specifically like if my father or anybody who was found guilty, where the facts didn't didn't equal a guilty verdict. You know, the facts didn't line up to that and the evidence didn't line up to that. A lot of these people don't want to hear it. And unfortunately, I think that's the problem with a lot of the jurors. You know, it, their mind is like I always say, their mind is, well, if they have that label, they're guilty of something and they deserve any any punishment they get. Now, what they fail to understand is that's great. You know, they want to think that way. They want to have a closed mind like that and think that way. The problem is you can't believe in the justice system and think that way at the same time. You know, they, they look at it like, well, if you're a, a, a law-abiding citizen, you, citizen, you'll never have these problems. And that's just because they weren't faced with it, because that's not true. What, what they're failing to understand you don't need to be high profile to become a target. And let me elaborate a little on that. Let's say you're in a small town. You never got arrested. You never got a ticket. You're, you, uh, and I'm just using a hypothetical here. You go into you know, a coffee shop or something. You're in a small town. And you get in an argument over some something nonsensical with a law enforcement down there. You say something, whatever, something pisses off the, uh, the person you're dealing with. Without realizing, you may have just become a target. You just put yourself in somebody's crosshairs who's in a power, in a position of authority. Now, who knows what steps they're going to do? I mean, you know, that's just human nature. If somebody aggravates you, somebody pisses you off, sometimes you want to get them back. So now, if you just put yourselves in somebody's crosshairs or your family member, anybody... You don't know what steps or lengths they will go to to get you back. And it may not be something serious. It may be just, you know, give you a hard time, hassle you, give you tickets. I don't know. Again, I'm just using a hypothetical here, and I'm just trying to give you an example of how easily one could be put into somebody's radar and considered a quote-unquote target. And I think 
people get a little naive with that and they don't understand human nature. Just because you may not be one now and just because you are a law-abiding citizen doesn't mean something could happen to you or to your family to change that. Whereas now, if somebody in a position of, of power is able to twist the law and bend the law, that's a dangerous thing and you should be concerned about that. It, it really has nothing to do with if you want to, you know, group a whole uh, bunch of people together and say they're all bad people. If they have this title, they're bad people. And whatever they get, they deserve. That could be how you feel. But you should be concerned that if the law is used as a tool, you know, if they're using certain things as a tool to get somebody unjustly, that should concern you. Because that anybody to have that kind of power, if you do something wrong, you do something wrong. That's, you know, that's how life works. You got to, you got to pay the consequences, but to manufacture charges, to create charges or to create, um, tie somebody in to something they had nothing to do with strictly because that person is the person that either somebody or someone or some team has a vendetta for or has it out for or decided to select as a citizen that should bother you. And, and I'm not saying it, it, you know, you want to believe the way you want to believe that if somebody's, uh, you know, done something wrong in their life, however they got to pay, they need to pay, whether it's for the crime they committed or for a made up crime, it doesn't matter. They deserve it. You know, if that's the way you think, that's a dangerous way of thinking and that, that collapses the entire constitutional system. If you're guilty of something and you did something and you got to fight you know, for for your defense and you got to fight your case, okay, that's how it works. You know, everybody fights, you put your best tools together and you put on your best defense, the prosecutor puts on their best team and they go at it. But to have to fight lies and to have to have tools of the system used against you to, to try to prosecute you and to put you away, that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, road to take. Now, I'm not delusional enough to think you're going to change somebody like that's mind. You know, they just have that certain way of thinking and a certain belief system, and that's how they, they think. But, you know, it's something that they should contemplate. Whether they will or not, I, I doubt it. The percentages aren't that good that they will. But the truth is, I don't think they realize how quickly the tides could turn and how... You maybe mind your, your own business, uh, being a productive member of society, and how quickly that could change. I mean, we see it, we see it play out a lot, and I don't think uh, people understand that. We see it play a lot, whether somebody gets targeted for the color of their skin or, or uh, the way they conduct themselves or their, if their last name ends in a vowel. You know, people get targeted a lot for different reasons. You never know why somebody's going to select you. And all I'm trying to say is it's dangerous you know, normally somebody shouldn't care about that. It doesn't matter if you get selected. Who cares? If you did nothing wrong, you got nothing to worry about. I mean, that's how I always felt in life. If you don't do anything wrong, you got nothing to worry about. You do something wrong, that's a different story. But to have to worry about and anticipate, even if you did nothing wrong, you still have to have a headache or have to worry about that or be concerned because if you do deal with somebody in a position of power who starts utilizing all of those tools at their discretion to get you or to to put you through the system, that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, game to play. And all of society should be concerned about that. 
and it's you know it's irrelevant in my opinion it's irrelevant what title or what somebody's accused of or if they're supposed to have some kind of uh, if they're supposed to be aligned with some kind of organization you got to separate that because for for the purpose of the justice system that shouldn't matter and i always talk about you know i i always use the uh the image of lady justice being blind and if that's truly the case none of that should matter but we know that's not the case and i and i think those who make those assumptions and act as if they're untouchable because they're simply they're not doing nothing wrong that's really not an accurate statement it should be i i agree with uh the sense that if you do nothing wrong you should never have any problems and if you didn't break uh the law and you know you shouldn't have to worry about it but that's not how it plays out you know, that's just not the reality of it and they, they don't understand that because they they've never experienced it but that's not to say that they can't experience it or their families can't experience it. And to not recognize that, I think it's ignorant. To not recognize that it's, it's, a, it's a flaw within the system to have anyone in power to be able to utilize the tools of the system to go against somebody innocent of the charges they're bringing them. And it goes to my point. If somebody committed broke, broke the law, bring the charges accordingly. Bring the proper charges against that person. If they broke the law, if they went out and robbed the bank... Charge them for robbing the bank. Don't believe they robbed the bank, you know, five years ago and you can't get them on that. So let's get them on, you know, um, jaywalking, whatever. You know, let's get them on, a, on another crime or something. Let's get them on, uh, on assault. You know, don't just invent something because you feel they committed a crime and they got away with it. You know, you, you, that's just not how the system's supposed to work. If somebody committed a crime, get them for the crime they committed. That's all I'm saying. It's very simple. But people don't see it that way, especially on those crazy forums, which I I laugh because in one breath, they're abusing everybody. They're abusing people, but yet they're on these forums for hours and hours and hours making post after post after post. So I don't know. I I can't relate to that. If I don't like a group of people or I don't like a topic, uh, I'm not going to be addicted to these forums talking about it. And I believe if you're going out of your way, to try to justify wrongful convictions just based on who somebody is supposed to be, then you you just don't believe in the justice system. You believe in you know your own uh, ideology on how things should play out. But again, that's not how the Constitution is supposed to work. So all I try talking about on this show is how the Constitution is supposed to work versus how it really works. And any citizen, I would think, would want it to work the way it was intended. And the way it's supposed to work and not used in a way to manipulate or to target or to use these tools to one's advantage to try to bend them a little bit to fit the narrative. I wouldn't think any reasonable person would want that. And I stand by that because any reasonable person doesn't. The ones who do want that, obviously, they're not reasonable and they're just ignorant. And I think, you know, they have their own agenda at play. And one thing I always notice, it's always those, you know, um, it's always those who, who claim to be so high and mighty that have the, that have the uh, skeletons in their closets. You know, it's always those that if they were the focus of attention, I would like to see what they've done in their past. Where, where, you know, what, what kind of uh, actions have they taken in their life? What good have they done in, their, in the world? They're always the ones, if you ever notice, always the ones that are acting holier than thou, that... Something always comes out. They're always up to something, you know. But 
that's a that's a topic for another day, I guess. So that's really it for today. A couple of things I just wanted to talk about and get out there. Until next time.